This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Hello, Equity Mates. This is just a quick note to say that we recorded this interview with Ed on the 18th of February 2020. We just wanted to give you some context as to the recording date as a lot has happened in finance and the markets around the world since then. We hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. As always. Yes, always as excited. always. Yeah, so am I, Ren. We are, we're continuing our theme of the expert investor, as we always do once a week now. And this one is expert investor cross ex-professional athlete, which is always very exciting for us because we love delving into how that can come about. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ed Cowan to the show. Thank you. Gents, thank you for having me. I think that there needs to be a, a little bit of an asterisk. Definitely not an expert, just an interested investor and, and lucky to be working for a, a great company. But th- this is a big moment for me because this is me ticking off the trifecta of millennial podcasts. Uh, <laughs> yes. Equity Mates is the last tick on the list. Obviously, the, the grade cricketer, shout out to my mates there and uh, the Batuta Advocate. So, you know, this is it for me. Well, I'm glad we come in the top three yeah, Australian Yeah, I'll take that company podcast. for sure. <laughs> well, I'm not, not ranking them, but... Uh, <laughs> but if you were going to rank them... Saving we're... the best to last, <laughs> I'll obviously. tell you at the end. I'll tell you at the end. <laughs> and obviously, we will find out throughout this interview that I'm sure you are an expert in what we're talking about for many ways, which we'll discover. But for those that who are unsure about who Ed is, he's a former Australian cricketer, played 13 tests for Australia, scored over 1,000 runs. Uh, I- 18. 18. 18. 18 tests. Can't take five away from It's my claim to fame. <laughs> that's, a, that's all I'm good for. And you literally... Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not here to talk about cricket, all right? So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm worried about your maths, though. <laughs> we're not experts. That's the whole thing. 18 tests for Australia. Apologies, Ed. You're a non-executive director of... Cricket New South Wales, co-founder of Tripod Coffee, which uh, is Australia's most sustainable coffee pod and has been pitched to Coles and soon to be Woolworths, potentially. <laughs> wow. Watch this space. <laughs> Watch this yeah. space. And, Do you have uh, a website on that, actually? 
On what? On Tripod Coffee. Do you want to... Oh, sorry. I thought you might... Make sure you get that bit in. Yeah, Tripodcoffee.com.au. Yeah, yeah. nice. Deliciously responsible coffee capsules. There you go. And uh, more importantly, though, it is part of the investment team at TDM Growth Partners, which is a phenomenal investment company, which we're about to delve into. So very much looking forward to that, Ed. Do you want to give the plug for TDM at the front as well? Oh, the, that can wait. The, the, the. <laughs> Tripods where the where the real magic happens. That's exactly right. TDM is a, is such a great story. I think we need to dedicate you know a good chunk of time there. Absolutely, nice one. Well, before we get into the stories, and there, I'm sure there'll be a lot of them, we like to start these interviews with a game, a game of overrated or underrated. Love games. So if you're up for playing, we'll get stuck into it. Yeah, I'm uh, good for it. Just for clarity, is it like overrated? I don't like it or overrated, I'm a seller. Like what's the underrated, undervalued? What's the, the parameters here? Anyway, throw, take, it, throw it, it. take it as it comes. Okay, open yeah, for interpretation. Okay. Yeah. Overvalued, undervalued is probably where we're going, but take it whichever way oh, you well. like. It's, you know, this is your interview. This I, is your I time. Love that. <laughs> Just no neutral answers. No, I'm not offended. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you'll learn quickly I'm not a fence-sitter. You don't right. get on the Batuta Advocate podcast, guys, by being a fence-sitter. <laughs> we wouldn't know. We haven't been on there yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, so overrated, underrated, overvalued, undervalued, sure. however you want to take it, the ASX 200. Oh, good. You've gone straight to the big gun. You know, it's not overrated in a sense that it's obviously provided some incredible returns for many, many years. But when it comes to froth and frothiness in the market, holy smokes, it's like that poorly poured beer that you get at that dodgy pub. Valuations are at an all-time <laughs> high. What is it? 15 record days in 20. Seller. So, overvalued. Overvalued. Fair call. Fair. I'm assuming that sentiment will flow into the S&P 500. Ditto. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's a it's a little bit different in the states, I guess, in that, you know, we're seeing some crazy metrics, particularly in the technology companies, you know, businesses that are growing. You know, we saw Microsoft, you know, grow at 50% off a massive number and mm. they're obviously trading in a massive forward revenue multiple but you can kind of see that playing out for a a little bit longer i think but generally the s&p 500 you'd have to put in the same bucket of let's start collecting the cash and and waiting for a downturn to allocate some capital they call that christmas (laughs) how long would you wait though as long as it takes who's who's in a rush you in a rush no (laughs) bryce has been calling the the crash for about Three years now? Mate, that's fine. You know what? I liken good investing to opening the batting. You just got to just let the balls shine, the shine off the ball, just leave a couple, and then eventually the bowlers get tired and you can cash in. Nice. I like it. I like it. I'm an opening batsman. So your first career prepared you for your second career. Absolutely. (laughs) Well and truly. We'll get to that. But before we do, speaking of potential froth in a market, overrated or underrated, the Australian residential property market. (laughs) (laughs) This is a favorite topic of mine. Overrated and overvalued. My commitment for the new decade was to not own any property. Nice. Throughout the decade, Love and I that. held myself wow. to that by selling my house in the first eight days of the new year, and I've never felt better. Wow. Nice. Never felt better, and I don't think I'll ever invest in property ever again. I Nine and three-quarter s- years to go. In, indeed. <laughs> I, look, I'm not much on the on the asset class generally. Never again. Probably never. Like, I see home ownership as an emotional decision. It's a bloody poor investment decision. But, you know, from an, from an investing point of view, I, I don't like it at all. 
because you can do better with your money elsewhere. Absolutely. I love that. I think there's only two people on the show, you being the second, Ed, that have answered that question that the Australian property has overrated and followed up by saying, and I don't own any property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. The other one was Paul from Baylor Paul Wilson. Yeah. Good person. Yeah. There you go. Smart bloke. Got the courage of your convictions. There we go. <laughs> so what? You're just renting? Yeah. Nice. Loving it. Absolutely loving it. Full credit. There you go. Love it. So overrated or underrated, the Australian VC environment. No, I'm a, I'm a buyer in the, the Australian VC environment. Look, private market valuations are toppy. There's no doubt about that. But the joy of VCs, uh, they, they're getting first look at a thriving Australian technology scene. And, and mm. these technology companies that are being built in Australia have these massive growth profiles with these huge addressable markets. And we've seen, you know, we've seen the case study of Atlassian and everyone loves pointing to that. There could be five or 10 more Atlassians in the next 10 years. And we're seeing Canva on, this, on the same trajectory. And the VCs are the first to to be able to invest in these businesses and then follow on and follow on and, and deploy you know, big chunks of capital in into these businesses and they only need, let's say, five to pay off and, and they make a lot of money. So VCs are out there with a bit of cash to burn. Well, I don't like the, the term cash to burn. They've got money, they've got capital to allocate and, mm. and money to deploy. There's no shortage of inflow into these funds, but I, I don't think there's any shortage of great businesses to allocate the capital to. So I'm happy with the, the VC environment in Australia. I think we're, we're thriving and, and the Australian economy will be a, a net benefit of that. So last question in the game, not so much an asset class, but uh, you were a former Australian cricketer. So overrated or underrated, day-night tests? No, I'm a buyer. I'm a huge buyer of day-night test cricket. <laughs> that is the future. No, I think the caveat being that it is a different form of the game. It's not test cricket as we know it. And so we've got to be careful to to provide a balance throughout the summer. But day-night cricket's Absolutely fantastic. Imagine going to the SCG for a day-night test, you know, toddle down after work. Well, long way from Bella Vista. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might, you might not make yeah, it before yeah. stuff. You just need a full night test. That, that's exactly right. But no, no, no. I, th- I think it's a great way to not only access new markets, but also a very different contest. And if you were opening in the night session, facing the new ball, you wouldn't have any dramas with that? I'd be a seller. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I'm I'm finished. I'm I'm just a mere spectator. So I'm I'm here for the entertainment. The contest, you know, is just periphery stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. So before we get stuck into the journey that you've been on into financial markets, we always like to start with the same question. We find it normally has a good story or there's some good lessons in it. So we'll we'll start with this question. Can you tell us the story of your first investment? I can, actually. And it was a while ago now, but I was lucky enough to grow up in a pretty business-minded family and uh, the, the newspaper would get delivered every day. And there'd be a bit of a scramble over the sports section. And, you know, obviously on the back of the Sydney Morning Herald is the business section. And so we used to, I've got two older brothers, would read the business and the sport together. And so it's what I knew growing up. And I think it was 93 or 94, Fairfax listed on the on the ASX. And I was, I think, what, 12? And the offer came through. This is, this is back in the day when you could sign your dog up literally for, <laughs> for IPO allocations. It wasn't the, the cross-checks that go on these days. So 
as a 12 year old, I was like, oh, I want some of this. You know, I read the paper every day. It's got to be, a, I haven't seen any other papers in this house. Something, something must be going right with this business. So it was a great lesson of investing in, in what you knew. And so I, I got a little allocation with my pocket money in the, in the Fairfax IPO in 1994 as my, my first investment. Nice. How long did you hold for? Can you remember? I think there were a couple, you know, small divvy checks in there, but I think by the time I learned how to drink and I needed uh, to access a little bit more cash for, for my Saturday nights, I think that was out the door pretty quickly. Is there a lesson that you learned from that initial investment that has kind of stuck with you today? It's kind of right out of the, the Buffett book of, or even Peter Lynch, I guess, investing in what you know. Mm. You know, you have a core competency and a circle of competence and competency in, and, and sticking to it. And I guess that was a great example. It was a product I knew you know, intimately from, from reading it every day and something that I enjoyed and thought other people must enjoy it as well. We've touched on it a couple of times. You started your career as a cricketer. You played for New South Wales and then Tasmania. Yeah. But also played 18 tests for Australia. <laughs> Don't get that wrong again. <laughs> and scored over a thousand runs. So I guess, you know, you started your investing career at 12, as you've just told us. How was your interest in finance while you were playing cricket? Was there a lot of stock chat in the locker room? Plenty of specky stock chat in the, <laughs> in the locker room. Cricketers are always after a quick buck. So they're always... I did a commerce degree at Sydney Uni and played cricket for, for university and then worked in an investment bank for a little bit and then ended up doing a Master of Finance while my cricket was going on. So in the change room, I think people saw that as a bit of a flag of if I need any kind of financial advice, I'm going to go to Ed, which usually was when they come and say, I'm thinking about buying an off-the-plan apartment in Blacktown. What do you reckon? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, who told you that you should be doing this? Like, oh, my manager told me this because, you know, the manager's getting a kickback here and, you know, knows the, de the developer there. And I'm like, this is the single worst idea you've ever had. <laughs> See these things called ETFs? <laughs> Go chuck every single dollar that you have in, in one of those and, and watch it grow over the next 10 years and don't touch it. Nice one. Should have offered to manage their money for them. No. Start your own funds management. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So while you were still playing cricket, you co-founded the business Tripod Coffee, as we mentioned at the start of the show. Can you tell us a bit about that business and also, I mean, what it was like starting this entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, well, it was, as I said, business was kind of in my blood and I always had this inkling that I wanted to do something for myself and cricket provides you a great opportunity in many senses if you're not playing, you train for a couple of hours a day, you have a little bit of disposable income. Why wouldn't you kind of invest in yourself? And whether you're studying or, you know, starting a business, it felt like a bit of a real life NBA to prepare me for the real world, so to speak. So I just took a bit of a punt with the guy I was opening the batting with, Steve Casalino. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Today's episode is proudly supported by Vanguard Super. Now, as you know, here at Equity Mates, we hate fees. And after just over a year in market, Vanguard Super have lowered their fees. 
Their award-winning life cycle option now has one of the lowest fees on the market, more than 30% lower than industry average. With a yearly fee of just 0.56%, which bundles administration fees, investment fees and transaction costs, that's only $280 on a balance of $50,000. Extend your investment success with Vanguard to your superannuation. Head to vanguard.com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super rating smart data as at 31 March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super PTYLTD is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. We both love drinking coffee. We hated the sustainability uh, issues that Nespresso was creating at the time. And we thought, you know, bugger it, let's get into this. And it, it's one of the great decisions I ever made. I've learned so much about the business world. One thing is learning about it at university, doing a bit of accounting here, a bit of spreadsheet work over there. But when it's your own money and it's your own business, you, you're deep in strategy, accounting, mm. marketing. You, you're doing it all, literally, right through to customer service. You, you get a great education in, in the ways of the world. What do you think is your sort of weakest aspect? You mentioned strategy, accounting, marketing, and, and how do you sort of think about that? Yeah, so I think we're lucky now. We've got a, a great team where everyone's skills complement each other. So, And you, you find that you outsource a lot. So the guy that drew our packaging, for instance, was a designer that we found on 99designs who lived in Slovenia. You know, you have a 3PL that dispatches, you know, so you just kind of call on the best of all breeds to try and piece your business together. I think we're now in a really good place that we have some some great experts around the business and the pro, you know, the, the great thing that I've loved about the business is how we have continually innovated to try and create a competitive advantage. And, you know, we're in a, a great place at the moment. We've got the only certified compostable capsule in Australia. We can turn those capsules into electricity and organic fertilizer. They can go in green council bins. The coffee's amazing. So from where it was born from, which was let's try and get a product that is environmentally sustainable, people enjoy drinking, it's taken kind of five, almost six years to get to this point. And it's a great lesson that things don't happen overnight. And and when you are trying to build a business, and the same principle goes for these businesses that I'm investing or, you know, helping think about it at TDM and TDM are investing in or you invest in the side that you got to think like that business owner and and to build businesses takes a long time and that's why you need to be investing for, for the long term. Now, you mentioned TDM and we're keen to get into it, but we said we'd let you plug the coffee. So, if people are interested <laughs> in picking up some tripod coffee, where, yeah. where can they go? Well, obviously, you've probably done a deep dive in direct-to-consumer brands. We have a, a high-functioning <laughs> high website. Yeah, it's the top of the list. <laughs> tripodcoffee.com.au. Um, you know, we'll, we'll ship it to you the next day and, and hopefully you're happy. Don't forget to get your apply paid label so that you, you can turn your capsules into, into fertilizer, like I said. But if you live in Sydney and you have a Harris farm nearby, you can pop into one of those. Leo's Fine Food in, in Melbourne or your Hill Street Grocers in Hobart. Some of the five-star hotels around the country, actually. 
stock us. So. Nice. Bryce and I are looking forward to our free samples after this interview. <laughs> free, you got a <laughs> lifetime supply. <laughs> so you touched on TDM and was saying before this podcast that TDM seems to be the classic example of all the lessons that we've picked up in doing this podcast. So to start the discussion of TDM, can you explain their investment philosophy? Yeah, sure. Let's get into this because this is interesting stuff and I think your your listeners will appreciate this. So TDM was founded on a deep belief that if you own a share in a business whether it be one or a million or 10 million shares, you are an owner of that business. It's not a piece of paper. It is a piece of ownership of a business and you need to think like a business owner. And so with that in mind, they set a fund up, Hamish, Tom and Ben, with no restrictions. So to find the best companies around the world run by the best management teams, but most importantly with no time horizon locking them into how long you could invest for. So it's an evergreen pool of capital that we have been allocated by 20 families. And so that pool of capital can be allocated over very long time horizons with the mentality of being a business owner, which means two things. It means that you can ride the ups and downs. It means you can, when things go badly, you can actually allocate money into the business, which is just a great time to be buying it also means if prices are outrageous, you can manage your portfolio as well. You're not being marked on these quarterly, you know, mark to market that the institutional funds are. And so you can take really long-term views. You can invest in private companies. You can invest in public companies. You can transition a company from the private markets to the public markets and still hold them for a very long period of time in the public markets. And you can help create the value over that period of time. And so it's this really beautiful model that is exactly how investing should be done. No restrictions over a very, very long period of time. The story of how TDM started is is an interesting one. We know I read it in a Forbes article started by your brother. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, so can you give us uh, a bit of a background of how that happened and, and the growth story since then because you started with a million bucks mm-hmm. and now you've got, a billion. No, it, it sounds ridiculous. So oh, crazy return. Yeah, uh, so Tom, my dear older brother, who I shared a bedroom with up until I was sort of eighteen, he was working in Investec, the investment bank. Had always been a passionate investor, and his best mate Hamish, who he'd went to school with since he was four, had all you know been a passionate investor. They'd grown up with this thirst for it, and and Tom actually got a, a, a chronic back issue and he had to leave work he thought well he was 25 at the time he's like i've always wanted to start my own funds management business maybe now's the time so he started in a a flat in in sydney it was just him at that point in time and hamish came across pretty soon after but he was lying on his back you'd go over there were broker reports up to the roof and it was just him allocating money And, and the you know there was one client and then there was two and then there was three and it's really been the same clients all the way through the TDM journey. And the key to being able to allocate money over long periods of time is this evergreen pool of capital. So these families and the trust that they have put in Tom, Hamish and Ben and now the, the greater team of 20 to do this is remarkable. And so as you say, it started with a million dollars. And yeah, sure, there have been a few inflows, but not many. 
but it shows you the power of, of compounding. So the fund's grown at 25% a year for the last 15 years. And now, you know, I think last week cracked a billion dollars. Phenomenal. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Good time to be speaking to you just after you cracked a billion. Yeah. And, yeah. and even little things that they had a belief that the, the industry could do things better. Little things that there's, there's no management fee. It's performance only. So 100% incentives are aligned. If TDM clients don't make money, no one in the business makes money. And so people are hustling every single day and it's that same mentality. Every employee is thinking like they're an owner of TDM and conversely, every time they're making capital allocation decisions, they're thinking through that ownership lens uh, as well. And so what's the process of letting, I guess, these families or investors come into the business and give you capital, is yeah, it? Yeah, so it's it's now closed to a degree. There have been what you'd call probably strategic ads in terms of the client, people that can either sit on a board on our behalf or act on our advisory committee, really add value to the network. Interestingly, of the 20 clients, maybe half have built sort of billion-dollar businesses themselves. So they understand the longevity required to build great businesses and the importance of investing for the long term. So it's a very different mindset. And I think they've probably allocated money on an intergenerational basis. There haven't been any redemptions in 15 years. Wow. During the GFC, there were only inflows. So, you know, very sophisticated people that understand the value of allocating money at at the right time. It's just a very, very different model. It is unique. I think that is pretty phenomenal and there probably wouldn't be many funds in Australia or potentially the world that could claim that that they haven't lost an investor. Mm. It's a testament to the performance. If you start underperforming, I think they start asking questions, but I think it, it, it actually runs into the, the trust that they have in the business and how that trust battery really been built out over many, many years and, and also for them having b- most of them built business themselves, as I said, understand the ups and downs and so... As opposed to if you're an institutional fund allocating money and you have a bad quarter, everyone's pulling out, everyone's redeeming, which is probably the wrong time to redeem <laughs> anyway because if the market's down, you should be putting money in. But anyway, the world's upside down. Uh, and so without that, people are, are very happy to take long-term views. Yeah. So I guess if we get out of the abstract, because mm. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening thinking you've hit 25% compounding growth for 15 years, that's the best of the best level if you can keep it up. Yeah. What are some of the companies and what are some of the investments that have allowed for this incredible growth story? Great question. So without any restrictions, we invest in Australia, we, we can invest around the world. So I'll start in Australia and and probably with a few businesses that, that most of your listeners or some of your listeners would have heard of. Baby Bunting is, is a great TDM case study. I know you guys probably haven't shopped there yet. That was uh, at, at, <laughs> that was Bryce's stock of the year last year. He's been crowing about it for a while. So well, there, there you go. So we were owners of, of that business for just under ten years, four years in in the. I'm sure I'll, I'll get some timings wrong here, but four years in the in the private markets, and almost I think it was five and a half in the public markets. So was able to I think six stores when we invested initially went in helped really scale that business from a, a process point of view and help that growth story play out reinvigorate the board there's a, a, a fantastic ceo in, in matt spencer who's an absolute 12 out of 10 great cfo really built that team out and, and helped shape that tom went on the board 
listed the business and then held it for a long period in the, in the public market. So I think over, over the course of that 10 years, I think we probably did maybe 10 times our money. So, you know, super normal returns. So that's provided a big chunk of, of our returns. Most recently, Tyro, which was the second biggest technology listing ever on the ASX. We were the second largest shareholder with Mike Cannon-Brooks and Tiger Global. Again, invested four years ago in, in the private space, helped build that business, really scale the processes. So, you know, there were, that business saw a few sort of hiccups. Hamish went on the board and he and the rest of the board members and, and Robbie Cook, phenomenal CEO, listed the business and, and now it's it's racing away uh, in, in the public market. So that's a, another great case study. So but so consumer business, technology, fintech, software business. So again, no restrictions as to what we can invest in. Other businesses that we've been investing in for a very long period of time, mineral resources. I think TDM bought shares in the IPO. 15 years ago, 90 cents, currently trading at $19. Wow. And we think can can be a, a much bigger business run by a, a super entrepreneurial, high caliber executive in Chris Ellison. So the investment philosophy that comes out more than anything is we are investing in people to allocate capital on our behalf. So when you own the business, you are backing the CEO, you're backing the board, and you're backing the senior executives to grow these businesses over long periods of time and getting the people right is just such a key tenet of, of, of what we believe. So there, there are three businesses, Guzman and Gomez, I hope you all yeah, yeah. Yeah, eat yeah. burritos, we're, we're <laughs> uh, the largest shareholder in that business and, and that's just a, an absolute freight train as well. And then in the States, software businesses like MindBody, Ellie May, which you, you may or may not heard of, and Spotify. So Ed, you said at the start of the show that understanding your circle of competence is important. One of the lessons you learned early on. If you have a, a philosophy of no restriction, anything you can invest in, what is the process that you guys go through to ensure that you're mm. you're still investing, I guess, within your boundaries and understanding? Great question. So I think over the 15 years, while we have invested in a whole range of industries, software and online probably the majority of work, probably consumer and probably healthcare, if you were to kind of silo them, we would say that we have a, a strong circle of competence or degree of competency in those industries. But that hasn't stopped us investing in great businesses run by great people with great growth opportunities, with a large margin of safety at great prices that we can see can you know ha have great outcomes over, over a long period of time. So it's a question of really getting to know the business. And I think over the course of 15 years, we've probably only made 58 investment decisions. So it shows you that there aren't many mm. companies that TDM have invested in. And when we like the look of something and it passes that initial sniff test, everyone will run at it. You know, So you have 10, 10 members of the team trying to get their heads across absolutely every detail of this business. So it might be outside what we would probably describe as a circle of competency but by the time 10 people run at something for a, you know for 3 months or 4 months you, you can get a pretty good idea of, of the industry so it's just as simple as someone in the team has come across a business that they think might be worthwhile and then you just attack it at once and see what happens absolutely 
Nice. Can you tell us what that looks like? What does 10 people running at an idea for three or four months look like? We can go out there and try it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it <laughs> lo- eating a lot of Guzman and Gomez? <laughs> I mean, there's a whole spectrum of information that gets gathered, but obviously there's all the, the public market information if it's a listed business that is easy to gather and you build a model and the, the usual kind of stuff, but then you're calling customers, you're doing reference checks on all the executives, you're trying to meet the executives if you can. There's a whole range of work that goes in, particularly around that people and culture piece, because that's the hardest to diagnose. The, the rest you can kind of piece together pretty quickly, but spending time with management is a massive part of any part of our due diligence program. So I think one thing that I noticed when you were talking about those stories is that you guys take large stakes in businesses. Mm. Baby bunting was over 40%. 40% yeah. you were the la- you're the largest hot shareholder in Guzman and Gomez. Yeah. It seems like when you're convinced of something, you go hard at it. Is that is that part of the philosophy? Yeah, it's a high high conviction uh, game investing. At any one point in time, the portfolio only has 10 to 15 businesses in it. So if you're allocating big amount of money now, uh, in the case of trying to allocate a billion dollars, particularly in Australia, there aren't many businesses that can absorb that. And sometimes you get yourself in a situation in a listed sense that you might own 25%. That's quite a liquid for you. In a private sense, it's obviously very illiquid. And so it doesn't really matter how much you own because maybe at the IPO, you might sell down a little bit. You might, in fact, like we did in Tyro, add to our position. So it can get tricky when you're dealing at scale, but you're right. You, you, particularly in a, in a private sense, we're, we're what we call sort of chunky minority investors. We're, we're never control investors like a private equity fund is. That you can all, you always have that lever of control to pull if something's going wrong. We're trying to actually work with management hand in hand without ever having that. We own fifty five percent, so you'll do what what we tell you to do. We know a company that's looking for some cash. It's called Equity Mates Media. So if you're looking to allocate that billion dollars, uh, <laughs> look no further. We could do a little horse trading, little tripod coffee on the oh, shelf. I'm really interested in the people part because we speak to a lot of small cap fund managers as well and they heavily rely on going out and meeting executives and speaking with a team to to your point, you can understand the financials pretty well, mm. but it's the people part that makes a big difference. Other than being good capital allocators, what are some key characteristics that are important to you to TDM? Great question. Uh, again, it depends. We invest in a lot of founder-led businesses, and so you'd say one of the key attributes that probably most of them exhibit is just this grit and this hustle to and it's it's almost innate in them to this vision to build a big business and they will do anything to do that and that shared value of they want to do it the right way they're, they're not interested in growing too fast if it blows up the systems that they, they they know that over the long term they need to build a really durable business with great competitive advantage and and that's going to take time so that's probably in the in the private market in, in the public market i think you know it's kind of odd that you find yourself assessing people when you're not an expert in assessing Mm. people but you know basic traits like a a shared belief system empathy modesty you know a a massive red flag is a ceo that uses the word i and you know it it isn't a team player or doesn't isn't perceived to be a team player we you know sometimes if we make a, a, a a bad decision on a business it's because of the people mm. every time. And 
you know, we've, while we have compounded money at high rates, we have made mistakes, but often those mistakes are, are buffered out by a, a nice margin of safety on entry price. Mm, mm. So it, it is certainly our judgment on the people in the business is probably the big biggest decision that we make. Mm. Without uh, throwing any company or anyone under the bus, can you tell us the story of one of the mistakes and yeah, sure. what, what you learned from it? Uh, I'll probably... <laughs> I'll probably I won't get the sack. You know, it's it's like mentioning the word Voldemort, but there was a (laughs) a a business that was listed in the states, a tea business. I won't give you the the name. Not a coffee business. No, no. (laughs) And the the guy who was running the business was a founder. Ticked, you know, really turned on the charm. An older man, you know, for all intents and purposes just seemed like a, a fantastic person but when push came to shove he, he didn't at all act in the best interest of shareholders and and so that business was was a little bit of a basket case but i, I think i think and I, I could be wrong we've lost money on three occasions and, and that was one of them that's it in 15 years yeah Wow. That's pretty good track record. I've done more than that this year. <laughs> Hang on, don't say that on the show. <laughs> I'm interested, you said 10 to 15 stocks, that are 10 to 15 positions, not, not all stocks if they're private. I imagine if you're holding for the long term, you get very close to the founders, you get very close to the management and the board, and it becomes a very difficult decision to then manage that portfolio and decide to sell one position and because you found a better op a better option yeah what's the process there and how do you manage that it's probably one of the, the most asked questions that if we meet a ceo or founder they they ask that question as well and and i guess the best way to answer it is to give the baby bunting case study so 10 years invested in a fantastic business still a great business still will continue to grow and eventually be a, a mature retailer but i guess if you're trying to compound money at 20 percent and your businesses don't have any debt, you need to be growing top-line revenue at 20% or more. And so these businesses that we have been invested in for a long period of time have been on the board, maybe, as you say, worked hand-in-hand with with these CEOs. It is a very hard decision, but eventually it becomes a very easy decision because you can say, well, is this business going to keep growing at 20% or more in the foreseeable future. And in Baby Bunting's case, they kind of made the decision that they weren't going to go internationally. And so they were eventually going to become a mature retailer. And then it's a question of, well, at what point in time? Ideally, you you want to leave something on the table for the person that is buying the shares off you. When you own a large portion of the business, you don't want to be tapping out and being known as the business that when you're selling is the time to be running. So when we sold baby bunting, the people that bought our shares, whether they're mum and dad investors or institutional investors. Probably Bryce. Bryce, you, you still would have made... <laughs> Probably you, was that you, 400 million position I put on it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have still done well and will continue to do well, but probably just not at the rates that we are looking to, to compound our money. So it's still a fantastic business. We're still very close to the management team and it's a, a long-term relationship, but it, it is hard. With a, a an interesting environment in the public markets at the moment, but um, some still, I guess, great areas of opportunity. What sort of sectors at the moment are exciting you? Yeah, uh, 
Aside you know, from you, finance podcasting. <laughs> if you've got any areas of opportunity, I'm happy to hear them because it feel, particularly in Australia, it feels very full. Mm. I think the opportunity and, you know, the ASX loves probably overvaluing technology business more than any other more, more than any other exchange in the world. But you kind of, and it's not my idea, but every business is becoming a software business and the great companies of the world are going to be technology businesses moving forward. And so if you find a great technology business at a fair price, Get then, on board. yeah. But it's very hard to find those fair prices in Australia. You, you look at the great technology business and they're, they're trading at some crazy numbers. Mm. I'm interested in how you think about that because you're in this situation where it seems like everything is overvalued. You know, public markets are overvalued. VC seems overvalued. Private equity seems overvalued. You guys have built this track record of 25% year-on-year returns. You've got more money than you ever need to manage before. It's like you've made this impossible bed that now you've got to sleep in. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> so how do you think about that? It is going to be hard to to compound at scale and it's something that we talk about. but I think there are two ways. One is to be very strategic with when you allocate capital. And the joy of not having any life of fund is you can hold cash for very long periods of time, and we have in the past. And even if we're compounding money at 20%, as we have in some years, we've held like up to 50% cash. So to be able to deploy that cash when the market is off 30% in four days in the States, you know, Software, like at the end of 2018, every technology business was off 40% in a week. It's like happy days. This is absolutely brilliant for us. Cash, you're in and you can you can make your returns very quickly. So you, you can actually find opportunity if you're patient and if you're not always fully invested and you're managing your portfolio accordingly. And then the other side of the coin is investing in these private businesses where the, the price doesn't move if you if you can find great businesses and develop relationships at a good price at a fair price and you're taking a long-term view that price doesn't change for four or five years notionally until it lists and so you can you can make great returns that way as well so does that make sense yeah, yeah definitely yeah, absolutely. yeah 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 so you mentioned the people side of it and it seems like you've created something on the side that really complements your exploration of finding good people and finding good managers, which is you've joined the ranks of finance podcast hosts and you're interviewing some of Australia's biggest CEOs with your podcast Scaling Up. So can you tell us about it and can you tell us some of the lessons you've learned from speaking to these managers? Yeah, great. So it's been a fun project. So we, we, we did... A first series and, and just about to record a second but the idea was to interview these great CEOs or founders or you know executives that have you know in Guy Russo's case turned around a business the size of Kmart because there's there's so many nuggets of gold that people who have lived through these experiences can provide and each one has a different story that scaling businesses is about sure scaling processes finding a great growth opportunity in a, in a big market but more than anything, and this is what I think comes through, is scaling the people and culture piece. Because going from five people to 500 people to 5,000 people, it sounds almost mind-bogglingly impossible if, if you're not a great people person, a great leader of people, because so much can get lost in in the darkness of that exponential growth. And so I guess the crossover of where I found was I felt like 
I'm almost not an expert, but I lived in high performance teams for almost 20 years in professional sport. And so there was kind of this natural crossover to entertain these conversations with these people around how they've built their teams and then, you know, throw into the mix TDM's deepest belief, which is at the end of the day, people and culture is, you know, probably the greatest competitive advantage you can have. It's kind of made for a nice podcast series to really explore particularly those kind of issues and then other lessons to learn from these people. Again, you know, I touched on it before, but the grit and the hustle required to start your own business and grow it from zero to a hundred million or zero to a billion dollars is so inspiring. And I interviewed Kate Morris, who had a great story. She'd you know just sold, I think, sixty percent of her business to Quadrant Private Equity for a, for a very big number. But for the first ten years of her business, and it's been going almost twenty years, Adore Beauty, no sales. Like people were saying, what are you doing, Kate? This is this is crazy. This online beauty thing isn't a thing. And she, you know, twenty thousand dollars worth of sales one year, fifty the next, hundred, hundred. It's like not making a living. Had had a mortgage, invested everything she had. Next minute, she was just ahead of her time. The internet blows up basically when it comes to consumer uh, behavior and and shopping habits. And next minute, she's got a hundred million dollar business. So, it, it, nothing gives me more inspiration than than hearing their stories. You mentioned there you were in high-performance teams in state and national cricket. So I guess my question is, what can businesses learn from the high-performing sports Mm. teams that you've been a part of? And similarly, what should the Australian cricket team learn from companies that you're investing in now? That is a good question. Uh, I think for many, many years, business always looked to sport to see what they were doing, particularly around you know, culture. Culture, Business culture wasn't really a thing, but sport culture was a thing. It was, you know, it was team spirit or whatever. And in sport, there was always this idea that the sum of the parts you know, could be completely greater than any individual whole. And so business learned that I think, and then you'd always have the the sports coaches going in, and the kind of lessons that they would, you know, be expounding are pretty basic around hard work, perseverance, having a, a shared set of beliefs, people putting the team before the individual, which is really common, particularly in cricket. That's very important. People doing their job, being deeply into their role. You know, the halfback, your job isn't to pack the scrum or score on the corner, it's to pass the ball. Those kind of sporting analogies were thrown around the business world almost a bit too loosely. I think the tables have almost turned in that businesses have caught up in a sense that they've understood, particularly these businesses that have grown really quickly and they've had to scale their their teams really quickly. They are actually now the leaders in how to do this and sports now catching up to them and great entrepreneurs who have built great technology businesses are now the voice on how to build great cultures. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, you look no further than the Australian cricket team and, and the, the drama they went through in South Africa and, and then rebuilding that culture w- was at the heart of everything they did, but they certainly took lessons from a whole range of people. Fascinating. Lesson for businesses don't use sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you work at Bunnings. <laughs> so, Ed, we've approached the final three questions that we always ask our guests at the end of the show to close it out, but just want to say a massive thank you for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Love talking about this side of the markets. It's not something that we often get to talk about 
and it is very inspiring, something that obviously Alec and I would love to get into. So <laughs> if you're looking for someone. Hey, <laughs> smart blokes like you. So the first of the final three is, do you have any must-read books, investing or otherwise? That's a deep question. I think from an investing point of view, there are, there are a couple of must-reads just from a, a pure building blocks foundational point of view, and that's anything that Buffett has written yeah graham pretty good starting point peter lynch or you know these guys are what you'd call foundational books to to really build your knowledge on and and once you kind of got the idea if you're coming in completely cold i think interesting books that i think are kind of must read from a, a business owner's viewpoint if someone like a jim collins good to great is a phenomenal book around business strategy and understanding you know what makes great businesses and then when you kind of move through the pyramid, if, you, if you're looking at it like that, if that's kind of the, the middle block, then you get to the pointy end and that's the really kind of niche things around psychology. You know, Danny Kahneman, thinking fast and slow, anything that Gladwell writes that might challenge your own biases and, you know, so, and your own decision-making framework and your mental models and, and these kind of things I think are, are really interesting. But if you're a keen investor and there's only one thing that you'd ever read is probably Buffettology. Didn't you write a couple of books? I've written a book, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surely you get that applied here. <laughs> That's, uh, I don't think that book's for everyone. That was a, my own personal diary of a cricket season. There's some psychology in that. Let me. That was a, a dark, dark season. I couldn't, couldn't hit the ball off the square. But I think this day and age, look, I, I think we live in an a, a age where it's never been easier to teach yourself anything. Hmm. With the joy of podcasting, whether it's this one or you know, invest like the best, which is just a phenomenal, yeah, cracking podcast, uh, yeah. phenomenal podcast. You can basically teach yourself about anything really quickly, two times speed. You can get information super quick yeah. and move on. So, whether that's in an audio book or a podcast, so you know, I think you just encourage people to open their eyes and their their ears and their minds, and and you can, I think, gain a, a bloody good level of knowledge pretty quickly absolutely so the second question we like to ask is um what's your go-to source for investing information that's a good question again i think go-to source has to be the the earnings calls you know the, the quarterly earnings calls or the the earnings reports you know that companies are putting out because if you are having any of your judgment clouded by broker reports and analyst reports then you're not doing your own work and so you need to be making up your mind, your mind, not what the market's thinking. Mm, I mean, mm. they're, they're two very separate answers. And so you need to come to your own conclusions. And the best way of doing that is is getting the source information yourself and, and working through it. Yeah, separating the noise is, is sometimes well, often very difficult. That's the game, yeah. So to close it out, Ed, thinking back to when you made that first investment in Fairfax. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what so the- did Jack Cowan, the Jack Russell. Yeah, he got an IPO nice. allocation. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting pretty. <laughs> still holding? <laughs> yeah, still holding, yeah, yeah. What advice would you give your younger self thinking back to that period of time? I'm a big believer in financial literacy and the power of understanding the basics, whether it is you know, understanding how much you have to repay on your home loan on a post-tax basis. Little things like, you know, what is the, if I was to rent, what is the post-tax return I need to achieve where I'm better off? You know, basic little sort of maths that you can apply to your life to make sure that you are in a better financial situation. And so, 
not when I was 12, that would have been a bit complex, <laughs> uh, but I, I would have probably tried to tell myself about the power of saving, the, the, the very powerful power of compounding. Mm, mm, absolutely. Great Eight. advice. What is it? The eighth greatest wonder of the world. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's the eighth greatest wonder of the world. (laughs) So, Ed, thanks for um, taking the time today. If people are interested in learning more about yourself or TDM or uh, Tripod Coffee, where can they go? The Tripod Coffee website, tripodcoffee.com.au. You can ping me a note on LinkedIn. You can check Scaling Up out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review there. I'm pretty good at getting back to people and TDM for people that are interested in investing, sign up to the newsletter because it is absolutely full of phenomenal content. And so I'll definitely, definitely check out tdmgrowthpartners.com. Nice. Well, as we said, an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining us on the show, Ed. Looking forward to catching up uh, in a while's time to see when you uh, hit the big 2B. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> at, at current growth rates could be next week. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 2B, I'll, I'll be buying you guys a studio. I won't be on poor. But no, a massive thank you. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. Guys, absolutely loved it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Today's episode is proudly supported by Vanguard Super. Now, as you know, here at Equity Mates, we hate fees. And after just over a year in market, Vanguard Super have lowered their fees. Their award-winning life cycle option now has one of the lowest fees on the market, more than 30% lower than industry average. With a yearly fee of just 0.56%, which bundles administration fees, investment fees, and transaction costs, that's only $280 on a balance of $50,000. Extend your investment success with Vanguard to your superannuation. Head to vanguard.com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super rating smart data as at 31 on March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super PTYLTD is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, 
I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch. Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 